0: All right, so I need to kind of set the tone here because I know the graphic is a little intense. But I did realize over the past few weeks, I felt like I was kind of set up in a really awkward spot because not only am I trying to deal with a lot of personal issues and things going on, but I then realized that Pastor Dave had asked me to preach the Sunday after Logan's surgery. And similar to how he had already mentioned how he was hesitant to do a message about prayer because he was facing a lot of doubt himself and wasn't quite sure you know, if he was going to be able to speak to that, I was like, man, how in the world am I going to help convey that God is still in control and God has a plan if something goes south with Logan? Like, how are we going to be able to do that? And then you add on top of that, right before Logan's surgery, I end up going to the hospital. And I was like, are you kidding me? Because this has been something that God's been trying to teach me for a while. But I, I want you to understand the premise and the purpose behind this message is not to beat anyone down. It is not to just say, hey, we are stuck in this pit of despair and we're just sort of fade away. No, this is meant as an encouragement. Because no matter who you are, no matter where you're from in life or where you're at in life or what season, there are going to be times where you are not okay. And just to lighten the mood here a little bit, I'm going to share a story that I am not proud of and I'm going to share it before he gets a chance to share it because I think I'll have more context than it. Because as an example of times where we feel like we are not okay and we need help, a couple months ago, Ellie and Dave asked me to help work on Ellie's car. Now, Ellie had just got her car and it had been sitting there in a lot for a long time, needed all this work done, so they asked me just to help change the brakes. They said, oh, yeah, it would be simple, a couple hours, no big deal. I'm like, all right, cool. And I'm going to just preface this. Anybody who works on cars, Uh-oh. my dad growing up, there were certain times in our household where we did our best to avoid him. When he was working on a car... Is the top of that list And there were many times Where my mom would say Stephen you need to go help your dad I was like are you kidding me (laughs) And one time in particular I walked in the door Asked dad if he was okay All of a sudden a wrench Comes flying into the wall next to me I turn around I go back Nope not not dealing with it And so I understand the frustration And anyone who has worked with cars get it And so we get into this project And this was taking forever like, these bolts were breaking loose. I was given everything I had. Like, I was just struggling. I was, nothing was lining up and nothing was going right. And Dave, being the supportive person that he is, you know, he'll tell you he doesn't know anything about cars, so he's just sitting behind me in a lawn chair or on the, the chair of the bus behind me, and he's, like, giving little snippets, or if we needed to have a torch to heat something up, he was all about that. Like, the moment he got to play with the torch, Dave's there. <laughs> but... We get to the last one, and I am just gassed. I have hit my head on this car countless times. Like, I am just given everything I have, and this one bolt will not come loose. And I am grunting, and I am hanging off of this thing, and it, it's probably 20 minutes of me giving everything I have, and I was like, this is not okay. Like, I wanted to just torch the car. I was like, Ellie, good luck. You'll buy a new one. I don't care. And then Dave comes up. It's painful. It's like, hey, uh, Stephen, are you sure if you're going in the right direction? (laughs) And for a while, I was like, yes, I know. And I kept trying to shush him, but he was persistent and he kept coming back. And finally, he's like, Stephen, are you sure? And I was like, you know what? Fine, we'll try it. Just to prove my point. Me being all confident that I'm about to win this debate and everything's going to be fine. I didn't win the debate, <laughs> yeah. the thing popped right off, and then yeah. all of a sudden, not only is he sitting behind me you know, with feedback, but then he has a smug f- smile across his face <laughs> feeling like he won some victory. But I use that story to kind of set the tone because there are so many of us who, when we are facing opposition, when we are facing challenges, when we are facing obstacles, we get so caught up in what we feel like we can do on our own. We get so locked in on how we view the situation, so locked in on what we feel we're capable of handling, that we block out all the outside sources. And as Christians and believers, we have a source that is there in ways that we can't imagine, like a freedom and a truth that the world itself doesn't have. And I hate using the analogy of putting Pastor Dave in any role similar to what God does for us, but... (laughs) There are times where he will speak, and and sometimes we'll try to shush it, and we'll try to block it out. But there are so many things in his word and so many stories of how God used opposition and challenges to bring people back. And so we're going to be bouncing around a lot here, but mainly we're going to be in Romans. So if you have your Bibles or want to hop up on your phone, we're going to Romans uh, chapter 7, and we're going to be starting in verses 20, and then we'll be hopping over to uh, chapter 8 here in a bit. But this passage, I I love this passage, because I'm sure if I said by a show of hands, how many of y'all have heard of the Apostle Paul? Raise your hand real quick. So quite a few of us, okay? This guy is known as one of the premier missionaries, if not the top missionary of all time. Like, he wrote a majority of the Old Testament. He discipled Timothy and other people. He was one of the big leaders in the church in helping them grow. Like, this guy is what we would call a primo Christian with a level of faith and resolve that many of us do not have. Yet, no matter how much we strive, that it's incredible what he does. But the awesome thing about this passage that we're about to read is we get to see a side of Paul that many of us don't really want to see. We look at the Bible heroes or the people in the Bible as like these heroes of a time far away where, you know, God was there and God was active and God was present. And so they had more, faith, they had more reason to have faith because they were seeing God move in these crazy drastic ways. But even with this and Paul being who he is, he shows us, and that's my first point, that it's okay not to be okay. And so if we read here, and it starts in verse 20 of chapter 7. Now, if I do that, I I would not. It is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So here we have a pillar of our faith, a pillar of the church, basically laying out and saying, you know what, this is every day for me. Like this is a struggle. This is like what my mind goes to. Because I'm I'm gonna go back a little bit with Paul. If you remember before everything happens, before the road of Damascus, before all of that, like Paul was so bought into the old law. The physical law of all the things that he would be able to do, where he would set him apart from a good believer or a good Jew and a bad one, and was so focused on that that because Jesus was so countercultural and was de- destroying the old law, that he was doing everything he could to erase it. And so he was going through and killing Christians and imprisoning them. And now he's had this complete 180. And so in his mind, you have two things that he is so passionate about and feels so heavily that he's willing to do just about anything for, but now they're going to war. And that's the same thing for us. Every day we wake up and we don't know what the day is going to hold. And we are put in situations that, hey, the flesh is going to kick in and we're going to want to respond in ways that we know we shouldn't. As believers, as those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, man, it's a constant battle. But I think so many of us, especially in today's church where we have these mega pastors and how Christians can be trendy and it's not so difficult to appear as a believer without having to follow through with it, that we lose sight of, hey, we are all in the same fight Nobody's made it. Paul is someone who we would look at as a top Christian. He admits right here that he doesn't have it all together. Pastor James doesn't have it all together. Lord knows I don't have it all together. None of us do. That is a freeing part of this so that when we come into these challenges and tribulations, we know that, hey, this isn't it. We're not stuck in this. There's a couple things I take away from this passage. And if I can actually find my notes here for a second. The first thing I take away is we are not called to be perfect. We are not called to perfection. The exact reason why Jesus came was simply because we are incapable of that. Right. He gave us our free will. He gave us the ability to choose. Man chose to follow sin and the flesh and follow the lust of our heart. And he—he's okay. he knew that was going to happen. The fact of the matter is, though, he knows us well enough to say, hey, I know Stephen is screwed up. But that's okay. That's what Jesus came for. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we are supposed to be perfect or carry on this crystal clear, like perfect, pristine image to the world around us or more specifically to the people in our church is bogus. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're all here. And that leads to the second part. We are all in the same fight. I have struggled so much with churches that I walk in and it seems like a parade. It seems like everybody is trying to put on this image that they have it all together, that they're this perfect, pristine family, that they are the ones who are. Man, I, I was the Sunday school kid. Okay? I was the one every Easter drama, every like, Christmas drama, I was the one who was the narrator because apparently I can remember stuff and I can ad-lib with the best of them. And so they just let me up there. And so I was the one who was presenting. like I was this strong kid, like this strong teenager in church. All the while, I was falling apart. Why do we do that when we come together as the body of Christ and instead of being vulnerable and being open with each other, being authentic and genuine, we try to look at each other like it's a competition. I'm not trying to beat you out for a spot to heaven. You and I are on the same journey together, so we're, on, we're a team. Yes. I need to be helping you up. You need to be helping me up. That's what we are supposed to be doing. Right. And so when we get into these topics, it's a humbling thing, and it's tough for us to have to admit because we've been doing this so long. But if the Apostle Paul can say it, that man, what miserable man am I? Why can't we? Because we just saw like a very powerful and authentic moment with Logan. Because I'll tell you, that is something. Like Pastor Dave talked about how he and I met in our relationship. I will tell you, there are two men right now who have been more influential in my walk with God in the past three to four years. And that would be Pastor Tony and Pastor Dave. And it's not because they are great pastors, but they are. It's not because they're great speakers, but they are. It's because they're able to show this authenticity and genuine side of them that they don't have to have it all put together. They're not polished. They're not shiny all the time. You get to see the real emotion. Man, a couple years ago when Logan was diagnosed, some of the most heart-wrenching videos that you would ever see is Pastor Tony getting on there and holding up his phone and trying just to pour his heart out. And it's tough because we don't want people to see that vulnerable side, but listen, that's what we have to do. We have big, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about this year being big faith in a big God. You can't do that if you have some artificial wall build up trying to deny people access to the parts of you that need the most help. Yeah, God knows those parts are there, but you have to let Him in to do it. And we'll get into some of the resources that He has for it, but just remember, we're in the same fight. And lastly, we all need the same Savior. Like I just said, we're not in a competition and it's not me trying to rank higher so that my mansion in heaven is nicer than yours. That, that's not how it's supposed to go. What I'm supposed to do is recognize that, hey, I'm here because of Jesus. Because if we read that last verse there, I didn't have a slide for it, but in chapter 7 and verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's saying, you know what? There is no other way I can do this on my own without Jesus. Thank God for Jesus Christ. That is the only one, and he's the same Savior that each and every one of us need. And it's not in the superficial way of acting like everything is okay all the time. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something we acquire through our actions. It's not anything that we can take care of ourselves. It is solely through Christ. And Paul lays that out clearly for us. So first thing is it is okay to not be okay. Now this one's a little tough for me. It's okay to ask for help. Clearly, I don't like taking help on things I think I know. Yeah. we have this sense of control we have this sense of authority we have this sense of power in situations where we feel like we know how it needs to be handled and know that we are capable of handling it that's arrogance because <laughs> clearly none of us have it all together none of us know everything Like I, I work with a lot of people who have been at a lot of jobs and some of them have been at this job for a long time The moment they stop asking questions, the moment they stop learning and thinking they have it all together is the moment where things go wrong. Anybody at any job knows that. Like, we're always learning. If you are not capable of learning or paying attention or asking for help, you're putting yourself and other people at danger. And as a church this, this small and has been growing and has been seeing God move in amazing ways, man, we can't have those type of liabilities. I know for me especially, of just looking and saying, you know what, I've got this, and I'm just going to power through. Because I'll admit, and we're going to get to the next passage, and it's, uh, we're going to be in Romans 8, 9 through 17. So while you guys get there, I think it was back in June, in June or July, Pastor Dave and I, we sat down. And we kind of came up with a game plan for the next year. Like we wrote out uh, what outreaches I was going to be a part of and and tried to coordinate with the schedule of my classes and find out which weeks I'm preaching. And there were several of them we marked down and we got it down. And I am terrible at saying no to things. Okay, I'll admit it. I'm terrible at saying no to things. And so time goes by and we, we go through a couple of the messages and then there's one in October... I felt I had plenty of time for it, plenty of time. All of a sudden, I got invited to go to a football game, and it wasn't just a football game. It was the senior night for one of the young men at our youth group, who I have gotten to know very well. Like I view him as a younger brother. He and his mom asked me to come to senior night, so I'm like, okay, I can be there. It's Friday night, I can go to the football game. I'll have all day Saturday and Sunday morning to prepare to finalize notes on the message. I'm good. No problem. All of a sudden, another teen reached out to me, and he's like, hey, my last cross-country meet is Saturday. Can you be there? And this was special because you might have heard I get a little loud at sporting events. A <laughs> little bit. I may or may not have worn a couple costumes to the events and have made teens very uncomfortable and questioning whether or not they want me there. <laughs> but one parent had made... I didn't think they knew who they were talking to when they did this, but they said, hey, you know what? We'll buy a mascot outfit if you'll wear it. (laughs) Do you know me? (laughs) And so I was like, bet. And so this was the last time for us to be able to do it. And so I was like, all right, this is the last one. They got the outfit. I got to be there. Okay, cool. So Friday night football game, Saturday morning cross-country meet. Saturday I'll be able to study. Sunday morning I'll be able to study. I'll prep it up. Then Bryce Copeland calls me and informs me that that weekend is Midnight Madness. For those of you who don't know what Midnight Madness is, Midnight Madness is the lock-in that Fellowship Baptist Church does every year with their teens. That was Friday night. You seeing a problem here? And so, I, I, without thinking, without asking for help, without evaluating my priorities, because I felt like I could handle it, I said, sure. And so, I have Friday night football game. Friday night into Saturday morning, midnight madness. Saturday morning, cross-country meet. Saturday afternoon, I die. Saturday (laughs) evening, I wake up, study a little bit, then study Sunday morning, and then I'm good to go. And so I I was so confident in who I could, and because I felt like I could handle it, I went through with it, and it crushed me. Like I got up here and I was able to speak and that's just a simple fact of God's Word doing more than what we can do because despite how much I was out of it, despite where my priorities were jacked up, if anybody got anything from it, it's solely because of the power of God's Word, not me. But we look at this and we just identify that the only way we make it through this life is with Jesus. And that he is the only help that we really can lean on. And so in Romans 8, and I know we're going to have quite a bit of reading, so bear with me. And remember, I'm a dyslexic redneck from West Virginia. If I get caught up, overlook it. Okay? Or take it up with my teacher. She's right over there. A small lady in the red shirt. But uh, Romans 8, 9 through 17. Uh, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit's. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of us. And in Christ, in, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of the sin, but the Spirit is the life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he hath raised up Christ from the dead, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh." For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might also glorify, or might, may be also, see, told you, that we may be also glorified together. That's him basically laying out, like, hey, this is how this is going to go. Like the flesh and, and God, they don't go hand in hand. Like, these are two colliding forces that are going to be going to war till God calls us home. And you can't serve both of them. He lays it out very clearly that, hey, if you are with God, you're one of his children, like the spirits in you, you're not serving the flesh. Like, the, the, the old you has passed away. We've heard that passage so many times. But the focus is really, hey, God's our only hope, and this is what this looks like. He's, he talks about how he has to come inside us and how we are no longer confined or bonded by the by the life we had before. I'm going to tell you like hardships and challenges will come. It's not a question of if; it's a question of when. How we respond to it is based on where our priorities are, and then our priorities will dictate how we our our, our uh, how our outward life looks. The fruit of the spirit is evident. Like God's the Bible says, you will know them by their fruits. What are your priorities, and where is your heart? And God's not just leaving us on our own here. I said we were going to get to a couple of the things that He's given us because He's get, He's given us more resources than we really give Him credit for. Some so many people I know when I heard pastors who were preaching about things like this of Hey, just give this to God. If you're going through hardship, just you're not praying enough, or you know, it's okay to just let it go. Like it's not that big of a deal. No, like it's a fight. It is a battle. And for him, Jesus knows this and God knows this to the point where he has given us resources and able to handle this. First one is his word. In Psalms 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That does not say spotlight. That does not say it just lights up the room completely. It it is a lamp. Anybody who has used a lamp, you are not seeing that far ahead. You see a couple steps in front of you, that's it if you're lucky. That's not, so God hasn't promised us that we are going to see clearly ahead of us so that we know exactly what is in store down the road. He's like, hey, you have a couple steps in front of you, and you've got to trust me and know that I'm taking you in the right direction, that I'm not going to steer you wrong. Something that we tend to lean into is like, man, God, why didn't you let this happen? God wants our obedience before we know the outcome. Like there are so many stories in the Bible, like we we talked about the story of Jonah a few months ago. And it was like, man, I wonder how different the story would have been if God had told Jonah, hey, you can go to Nineveh. You're not going to die. They're not going to touch you. They're not going to hurt you. Everything is going to be okay. I just need you to go there. I have a feeling Jonah would be a little more apt to go, don't you think? Yeah. Or with Daniel in the lion's den, if he was told ahead of time, hey, you know what? Those lions ain't going to touch you. They're not going to get near you. You're going to be able to sit down there and it'll be calm and we're going to use this in a powerful, powerful way. Daniel will be able to sit there in the confidence of knowing that God is there with him. God doesn't say that he's going to lay out his plans for us completely because we can't fathom it anyway. Like I just described, I'm a redneck from West Virginia. Okay? Want me to work on a car? I can do that pretty well. You want me to shoot a gun? Now we're talking. But... If you're asking me to plan and come to, come to uh, grips with everything that God has in store, I can't do that. But his word is a lamp and it's something that you constantly have to lean into, something you have to use and you've got to pay attention and keep it with you. That's why it says, keep thy word in my heart so I will not sin against you. It's not just something we pick up on Sundays. It's something you have with you everywhere you go. Second one is prayer. Jeremiah twenty nine twelve through 13. Then shall you call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and ye shall seek me and find me and you will search for me with all your heart. He hears us. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, so many times we want to hear from him and we want to see him do something but we don't really realize even what a gift it is to have him hear us. Right. I have been, I'm, I'm somebody that I will not really vent until I've gotten to the point where I have to. And in those moments, I don't want somebody to respond to everything that I say. Like there are so many times where I snap and I'm like, can you just stop? Like I, I, just, I, I know you want to help me, but I just need to let this out. I need you just to hear me. I, I need to know that you're there. Like I, I need just this chance to get this off my heart. I man, Anyone in the farm, like if you're around horses or animals, you know, man, one of the reasons why they have such a powerful presence and a comfort to people who are dealing with hardship is because, guess what? They ain't talking back to you. They're a their, their presence, they're a comfort, but you can go up there and say whatever you want. And guess what? Nobody else is going to know what you say to them. It's, it's great. <laughs> but that is, that is a side of prayer we don't really look at. Is You know what? God's there and he's listening and he hears everything that we have to say. He's got his plan and he's going to do what he wants to do, but he's not going to hold it against us if we're angry or upset or just pouring our heart out to him. That's what he wants. Like it lays us out as saying that we are the children of God. Man, there have been a lot of times, and I can say this with them in here, I've said things my parents don't like. I think it gets worse the older I get because I really just don't care and I'm being more like my dad and then it's just messy. (laughs) <laughs> but it's the, the fact of the matter is like, my relationship with him isn't changing. Like They know me well enough to know, hey, I can get frustrated. I can get hurt. I can be bothered. And there are going to be times where there could be some tension. But hey, I'm still there. And he says, if you look for me, you will find me. But it also says, when you shall search for me with your whole heart. Don't be serving God halfway expecting him to serve you full time. Don't be looking at and saying, God, where are you at? When the only time you've given him is an hour on Sunday. Don't be looking at it and saying, hey, God, where are you at? And what's going on? And why aren't you answering me? When you're not giving a a chance through his word, you're not reaching out and being in the right community, you can't blame God for you not carrying your part. It's a two-way conversation. And so even with that, like there are times... We can feel like We don't know what to say. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes into it. First, In John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He is a Comforter. It talks about how he intercedes for us. It's just there as a resource and that line of support. That way we know, okay, we have somebody with us or something with us all the time. Like Jesus, when He ascended back into heaven, He's like, it's better for me to go so that the Comforter can come. That is a powerful tool and a powerful resource and a blessing we take for granted way too much. And the last one for this point is godly community. When we were planning this church a couple years ago, some of the key words... That we kept talking about. And I, I thought it was funny because we kept arguing around the same words. And we kept using them over and over again. But we all knew what we were trying to say. We kept using authentic. We kept using genuine. We kept using real. These, this was the type of culture we wanted to set as a church. Of hey, we're just real people who are trying to serve a real God. There's nothing fancy about us. There's nothing special. There's nothing that puts us at a higher tier. Man, we are all in the same fight, on the same team, needing the same Jesus. And when you're around people who have that same view, God is able to speak into your life in a way that you would not be able in isolation. We, the life groups here at Thrive, I'm not in the old person one yet. Yet. I got a, got a year. But I, st- even with the young adults group, man, We have had some deep conversations. And we are not just like meeting on Mondays, but we are going through life together. They know me well enough that if they see something that is out of whack, they can come and call me on it and point something out. Because sometimes you need a different perspective. The same way I was locked in and not paying attention to what direction the ratchet was going, somebody was able to speak in and help me with it. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. And that's what it's supposed to be in James five sixteen. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We just saw a huge example of the power of prayer. Okay, we just saw that, and we just saw the power of community and God. And this was what it happened like. It wasn't in the timeline that we wanted. But we just saw God answer because we had people who were fervently and passionately praying for Him. And granted, we don't know what God's plan is. And this could have been a very different service if God had not not moved in the way He did. However, He did. And so now, after two years, almost two and a half years of praying and just sacrificing and fasting and focusing on what God can do and what we wanted Him to do, we saw Him do more than what we thought He was going to do in two and a half hours. That's amazing. But it was just a staple and a picture of what the church church looks like when it comes together. Because even when we were going to uh, different youth groups and youth camps, Over these past couple years, churches heard about Logan. They knew what was going on with Logan. And so people that I have never met before are now coming up and asking me, How's Logan? And hey, man, we've been praying for him. That's what the church is. That's what happens when people who are on the same path and recognize who they are in Christ and what our life with Him is supposed to look like happens. Mountains move, Mm -hmm. cancer gets removed, hearts get healed that's an amazing thing and that's all some of the resources that God has given us and thirdly it's okay to not be in control that's a tough one for all of us like I've battled with anxiety a majority of my life and as I study into it and I look at it it's more of a fear of not being in control Like anxiety walks hand in hand with pride and control because you know what I feel like I should be handling this and because I don't know how to it causes me to be anxious. I am now pushed out of my comfort zone or past my limitations and not sure how to respond but I feel the need to because I don't want to give up the control in my life. That's what God has called us to and that's not a burden that's not a punishment that's not a demotion that is a gift that He already has a plan for us, and all we have to do is trust Him and follow Him, and it will be greater than anything that we've ever seen. In Romans 8, 18-27, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature has, was made subject to vanity, not willing but by reason of him who has subject the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that, all, that the whole creation groaneth and traveleth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves." waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he not yet hope? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we, do we with patience wait for it? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we searches, and he that searcheth the heart knoweth that is it, the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for, us, for the saints according to the will of God. And here we go. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I could have just read, <laughs> I could have just read that one verse and just left it at that. But I, I want to make a point here because it talks about the creature and it talks about how it, it's not just us; the whole world is affected by the sin that is going on. Okay, and I think it's ironic that Paul, a tent maker is talking about this because I don't know how many of y'all have spent a night in a tent. It's not comfortable, okay? It is not comfortable. Last time I was in a tent, we had a, uh, that was before Thrive was like official, it was at a Catalyst camp out. And the odd thing was, the own, or not Catalyst, it was a Emerge back in the day. There was like eight of us, and we were all supposed to stay outside, but for some odd reason, I was the only one who ended up sleeping outside, Because there was a house, (laughs) and everyone decided they wanted to sleep in the house, not the tent. Well, I I was going to prove a point, and I had a very rough night. (laughs) Tents are not comfortable. They shake with the wind. They're noisy. You hear everything around you, and it's a temporary basis. It's not something that is meant for long-term living. It is a temporary shelter for times when you are traveling or when you are out in a spot that you don't know. Isn't that ironic when Paul is talking about that when that is exactly what we are doing? This life here is a temporary thing. This life here is a temporary shelf. It's a temporary form. And yet we view it as if it's supposed to be this stable foundation and it's supposed to be perfect and secure and we're supposed to feel comfortable here. No, we're not. If you're comfortable here, you're missing how great of a thing God is building for us because you're focused on what you're building here instead of what is coming. Mm-hmm. I'll take being uncomfortable for a few years because I get to know because God has gone and He's like we heard the messages and we've heard the, the passages where it says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm convinced that heaven's gonna be a custom job. Mm-hmm. Okay? I want I want a nice cabin. I want Dave as far away from me as I can. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. Though, because we heard, it talks about how there are groanings and the whole earth is groaning. We're not going to be groaning anymore. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any cancer. There's not going to be any tribulation. There's not going to be any hardship. We get to live a perfect eternity with God the Father. That is something that we should be celebrating. It's not something that we should look at as like a pity of, man, this will come eventually, but right now I'm focused here. No, stop worrying about your tent and focus on the house. Stop focusing on the temporary when God has called us to the eternal. The whole point of our relationship with Jesus is the fact that we now have security in the eternal side of it and not solely on the physical. This is what Paul said in chapter 7. He was talking about the war of the flesh when he was focused on the law of the flesh, the Old Testament law where it was all these things that you had to do to get God's approval. It doesn't have to happen. God won that. And so now it is about our relationship with Him and how much we're willing to follow Him. It's not easy. It's not pretty. It's not always the way we imagine it or want to see it. But the fact of the matter is it's more beautiful and well put together than anything you and I could ever create. There is a purpose for it. And I know that in a, in a group this big, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll put myself in here. There are people in here who are facing hardships and challenges and are terrified and don't know how they're going to move forward. There are people in here who are dealing with things that you, maybe I've been dealing with for a long time. Those, those things that are locked away in the closet, that out of sight, out of mind, you know what, God doesn't have to have access to this because I'm able to do this without it. No, that needs to be dealt with at some point. Like God says, hey, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. Stop hiding away parts of your life that you feel like are too messy for God. Right, right. Stop hiding, holding on to luggage or baggage from things that have happened a long time ago, from people who may or may not have knowingly or unknowingly caused you pain and anguish. Things that you have held on to in a bitterness that is built in because God didn't move in the way you wanted him to. He's made it clear. He's going to follow through. I have not seen a promise that God has not kept. Right. And the same God in the Old Testament, the same God who rose from the dead, the same God who protected Paul on so many different missions is the same God with us today. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm going to ask Victor to come up and if he wants to start playing. And I want you guys just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Because like I said, I want this to be an encouragement. I don't want this to be a a beat down or for somebody to feel like I'm calling them out. No, I want you to recognize that, hey, some of you are sitting here and saying, I'm not not okay. And that's fine. It is absolutely fine because (laughs) neither am I. But the fact is, we have a way of remedying that. We have a resource that the world itself doesn't have. We have a freedom and a confidence, not in who we are or what we can do, but in what Jesus already did. So whatever is weighing on your heart, whatever that challenge is, whatever that obstacle is, whatever that resentment or bitterness, whatever that baggage is that you need to let go of, here's as good a place as any. There's no point of holding on. Like, this is something that you should take care of now. And it's not saying, I'm going to wait till I get to a better spot emotionally, or I get to a better spot physically, or I get to a better spot uh, spiritually. No, you need to do it now. We don't know what life has. We don't know what life has in store. Man, a couple weeks ago, I was in an ambulance flying to a hospital, worried, thinking that I'm going to die right here. And God moved and He protected and He looked out. But don't take today for granted. But if there is something going on, I I just want you guys to leave that here. And it's not a one and done thing. Let's just be abundantly clear. It's not, hey, I'm going to be cool for a second. I'm going to drop this here and then God's going to take all of it and I don't have to worry it again. No, it is going to be a daily decision for you to decide, hey, I'm not picking this back up. The Bible says die to self. That is something that we have to do daily. We have to pick up our cross, trust what Jesus did on the cross, and leave it with him. It doesn't matter who around us gets upset. doesn't matter how different it makes us look or feel. It doesn't matter about any of that. Why? Because we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is there in our corner. And He is a resource. And He is our Father. And He is there to fight for us. And He has already won a victory that you and I can never achieve. And so instead of holding on to your pride and arrogance, believing that you can do something better than God Almighty, drop it there. Let Him pick it up. Don't pick it up again. And trust in the love that He has given.